Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. It starts in verse 5. I'll read it. You don't have to go there, but you can if you want to. Uh, in 11, Hebrews 11, 5, it says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, you've all read that a lot, right? I remember I at one time went and had sat through a, a message that the, uh, the title of the message was How to Make God Smile. And it was just this passage. He says, you know, uh, he was commended as a righteous man. Um, let's see, what was it? He was commended as one who pleased God. So the thing I wanted to really focus on, though, is without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And the thing I wanted to do was commend you because what you do by coming on Tuesday evenings and doing this is you're earnestly seeking him, right? Because there's no other reason to do this. So you must believe that he exists or you wouldn't be here. Um, so you're earnestly seeking him. And, and I'm getting all this. Okay, you want it down? Okay, is that better? Okay. You know, I don't mind if you tell me things like that. It's, it's, it makes me a better person. <laughs> anyway, so I just wanted to commend you for earnestly seeking him and, and tell you that you can expect to be blessed. Rewarded. Okay? Okay. Um, we go back to where we were now in Numbers. Last week, we spent pretty much the whole week, the whole time on um, Balaam, Balaam and Balak. And um, I wanted to see if somebody would like to volunteer to just, in uh, a short little synopsis, tell the story of Balaam and Balak in their own words without looking at the text. And the re uh, there's a reason I'm doing this. It's because the stories have got a whole lot of information in them. There's a lot of good stuff. And we read it. We talked about it. We talked a lot about it. So would somebody like to just tell me the story of Balaam and Balak? Oh, Lisa. That's a surprise. <laughs> that's okay, Lisa. That's fine. Oh, shut that's up. That's good. <laughs> okay. You could raise your hand. Yeah. And but um, well, you know, Balaam was worried about. Who was Balaam? Our Balak was worried about. Um, okay. Was worried about the Israelites being, you know. And who was Balak? Overwhelming them. Uh, I want you was, to tell this story like you're telling someone that didn't know it. Balak was the king of. <laughs> Moab. Moab. Mm -hmm. Moab, and and. Um, he was concerned because he thought, you know, the 
the Israelites were so numerous that they were going to erase him and his kingdom. And so, um, so he called on Balaam to come and curse the Israelites. And, and Balaam was a little double-minded, but he did say he couldn't say anything that Hashem told him not to, you know, told him to say or not say. He couldn't go beyond what he was seeing. And so, um, so then, um, you know, so then he kept, so at first he said he wasn't going to, God told him not to go with him, not to go with them, and just to say no. Well, he said no, but then they came back and they were pressing. So then he said, well, I'll go back to, to God and tell him again. So, so he went back to God and God said, well, if they're really pressing you to go, then go. And, and, but he was not happy. And so he sent the angel of, um, you know, the, the messenger and um, which Balaam didn't see, but the, the ass saw, the she-ass. And so he kept beating the, he kept beating her. And, <laughs> and every time she didn't obey him, and finally she talked to him and said, look, you know, what, what the heck are you doing beating me up? Because I'm, you know, haven't I always done everything you said? But I saw the, you know, the angel in the way, and, and God showed, her, showed him the angel, and then he was all sorry and everything. And so, and so, um, so anyway, then Balak kept telling him to, to, you know, they kept, he kept going back, and Balak kept taking him to different places. To, to, you know, thinking that God would change his mind or, you know, that God was different in every place. And so, um, so they kept offering a bunch of cattle and, you know, a bunch of sacrifices and um, in each place. And every time Balaam <laughs> couldn't, would give them, would bless instead of curse Israel. And which really made Balak mad. Okay. Is that good enough? No, that's all right. I, you know, I just wanted to know how you would tell that story to somebody else. What? Uh, let's ask somebody else, if that's okay. Okay. I don't what? Care. Uh, what would you get out of the story? What would you tell people? The I mean, I hate to use the word the moral of the story, but what kind of things can you find in that story that help you know about God? You don't have to answer that. You can't if you want to, but I'd like to see if other people... Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Does anybody... Did, can anybody tell me why the story of Balaam and Balak is kind of important? The first thing that jumps out at me is that when God says he's going to bless his people or a people, he's going to bless them. Mm -hmm. And... It's like when the New Testament says he opens doors that no man can close and he closes doors that no man can open. Yep. It's, it's emphatic. It's mm -hmm. written in stone, so yep. to speak. Yep. He will bless. He says he's going to bless. He's going to bless. Mm -hmm. There's another passage that talks about is God a man that he changes his mind? 
Don? Speaking of that, <laughs> the part where he, the first part where God says, Don't go. Don't go. I looked that up, and that you shall not go with them can also be read as you shall not go against them, not meaning the people that came to see him, but Israel. Ah. You shall not go against Israel because you, I bless them. You yeah. don't touch them. Okay. So I thought that was interesting. That, that's, that, that, that's interesting. Well, you can take your turn whenever you're ready, John. I, I wanted to add fine points. Okay. Lots of fine points. Okay. Okay. First off, why did Balak look for Balaam except that Balaam was famous? He uh -huh. was well known in the area for uh, prophesying and, and not prophesying of false gods, but prophesying of this one God who the prophecies came true. So they had a great deal of respect for Balaam's word. They, they figured if Balaam would come and curse this massive amount of people, they'd be cursed. Yeah. He was and famous so were, for, his, for his work. You're exactly right. Mm -hmm. yep. um, second, he wasn't a prophet. He wasn't of the Jewish faith. Mm -hmm. and, and yet he did have a relationship with God and, uh, and spoke with him and got the prophecies mm -hmm. from God. One of the things that, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but one of the things we talked about last week with respect to that was Balaam recognized God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he also recognized other gods with lowercase g's. And he was playing them all because he could get things done that way. He could, he could manipulate the gods to do things that he wanted done, which was why he was famous, why he was popular. Only he, he didn't, didn't really... That. He didn't really recognize that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was different. Because he was trying to do with him the same he did with the other gods. I didn't, I didn't recognize that. Because that well, it says you may that choose to disagree, and that's fine. Oh, okay. 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 I choose to disagree. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, also, Balaam being human liked the idea of, of someone wealthy and, and important calling on him and offering him all kinds of, he could, he could be rich, he could have mm -hmm. horses, he could have who knows what, mm -hmm. thinking of, oh man, he's going to offer me all kinds of, yep. of money. Yep. And uh, as we know from Scripture, God doesn't change. God said, don't go. And yet Balaam's thinking, maybe God will change his mind and mm -hmm. went back and asked. And then God gave him that, uh, of the ask, gave him a very strict warning. And Balaam still messed up because he gave, he gave the, the blessings out every time they moved him. He, he gave the blessing, but then he gave him the secret, that, that underlying secret mm -hmm. of, of mm -hmm. uh, causing them to sin. Well, I wouldn't be... I, Balaam, wouldn't be cursing them. Yeah, that, that's uh, true. We didn't, uh, we didn't really talk too much about that last week because we, yeah, we, it, it hasn't quite come up yet. Its story is more complete. But you're exactly right. What Balaam basically did, it's not, it didn't say this in so many words, but we can show it, is he basically says, look, it's to Balak. It's real clear I'm not going to be able to curse these people because, number one, God told me to, and number two, 
it seems that nothing comes out of my mouth but blessings. But, he says, I know how you can, you don't have to curse these people. You can get these people to suffer the punishment of their own God if you'll just entice them to worship the gods of uh, Midian, the Amorite gods or whatever, Midianite gods. Yeah, John? Uh, I'm still struck by the contrast between Moses and Balaam. If you, were to, if you were to say, if you were to read those blessings that Balaam did to someone who's kind of knowledgeable of the Bible and says, well, that's in the book of Numbers. That's in the Torah. Who said that? I said, well, probably Moses or someone like that. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't think. It wasn't. It's just it's Balaam. <laughs> yeah, it's just Balaam guy. I was always struck. One of the things that I like most is the, the analogy or the comparison of the, um, the donkey that talks and Balaam that talks. I, I always thought that that was kind of a, a neat parallel, you know, uh, even to the point of the conversation that the donkey had with Balaam and then that the angel had with Balaam. Uh, so th those are, that's kind of fun. Yeah. So based on that, you never know when a divine warning may come. It may come from a donkey. Yep. <laughs> whose yep. eyes are more open than yours. Yep. Or you may never know where a divine blessing may come. It may here, come here. from somebody who's an enemy. Yep. And they may actually speak something that can bless because yep. we know that good. God can use the He can use to anybody to do yep. anything he wants. Yep. Yeah. Lisa, wait, wait till we, we, we need to amplify your voice. Well, I find it interesting that he did even use a sorcerer because, you know, but, but it shows you that God is sovereign and he has control over everything that somebody is able to say or not say. Yep. I mean, because, because he could have, in a sense, allowed Balaam to say whatever, you know, to, you know, but Balaam kind of knew better. Like he probably knew he'd get struck by lightning or, you know, eaten up or something. Well, it... But, yeah, at one point, it was, you know, the first couple of times he goes off right. and God talks to him and says, go tell Balaam this. But the, the latter two or three times, God just spoke right out his mouth. Right. And, you know, I just find it interesting because we always think that, that um, you know, God just speaks to certain people, but, but he doesn't. He, he sometimes... Well, like I, like I say, you can choose to be Pharaoh or you can choose to be Moses, but God's going to use you either way. Yeah, either it's way. It's a lot easier yeah. if you, if you right. are used in his plan as a good thing than if you right. are used in his plan as... as not such a good yeah. thing. <laughs> I just wanted to go back and reiterate that a little bit. Also, before we leave this whole thing with Balaam... Um, we ought to look at the other references to him. Because uh, Balaam is, is referenced a lot in the Bible. He's also, I think I mentioned, he's referenced a lot in extra-biblical sources. Uh, Josephus wrote about Balaam. You can find Balaam's in, mentioned in the Koran. So Balaam's all over the place. He's a relatively important figure. Um, but if we go on to just where we are now, if we move on to Numbers 31. Um, let's see, what do I have? Numbers 31, I'll go to verse 13. We, we'll read this again in just a couple of weeks. But um, starting in verse 13. Barry has a question. Oh. Barry. 
I, I just wanted to ask Jerry, is how was he referenced in the Quran? I don't know. Oh. Okay. I just have that he was. If you, you know, that's a good homework problem. That's a good homework problem. I have a Quran at home, but I don't spend much time in it. <laughs> Googling it, you could Google it, I'm sure. Uh, chapter 31, Numbers 31, I'm going to start in verse 13. Um, this is, God has told Moses to go attack and kill the uh, Midianites. And in verse 13, Moses, Eleazar the priest, and all the leaders of the community went to meet them outside the camp. Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds, who returned from the battle. Verse 15 says, Have you allowed all the women to live? He asked them. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from Yahweh in what happened at Peor, so that a plague struck Yahweh's people. Now kill all the boys and kill every woman who has slept with a man, but save for yourselves every girl who has never slept with a man. The point I wanted to point out there more than all that other stuff was uh, they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from Yahweh. So that's, so that's what Mary was referring to is Balaam said to Balak, I can't curse him, but I can show you how to destroy him, and that's how. Deuteronomy 23 kind of has another couple little things in there. I'm just going to go through these because I think they're kind of interesting. Can I comment on that real quick? Beg your pardon? Can I comment on that real quick? Yes, please feel. At the end of the day, though, who's the enemy in the camp? It's Israel. It's us, yeah. yeah. Even though there's the, the Balaams out there, they're giving people bad advice. Well, you need to be on guard. Um, this, this thing in, in Deuteronomy 23 is not terribly revealing, but it's, it's interesting enough. Deuteronomy 23, uh, this is Moses talking to the Israelites before they go into the land, and he's just kind of going back over what's happened and trying to reiterate and reinforce some of the laws. And verse 3, chapter 23, verse 3, uh, God, through Moses, says, No Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of Yahweh, even down to the tenth generation. For they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way uh, when you came out of Egypt, and they hired Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor, and Aram Naharam to pronounce a curse on you. However, Yahweh your God would not listen to Balaam, but turned the curse into a blessing for you, because Yahweh your God loves you. Do not exceed a, free, a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. So, just another reference of Balaam. And you can turn to Second Peter, since it'll take a while to go all the way over to the Brit Hadashah. In the Deuteronomy uh, 23, uh, what the problem the Israel have, because many youngest pass away, they have a high fever. Yeah. Um, they kill it then. But it's very long cause the problem there, because he told this, the sacerdotes and the, the Baal in Moab, he tell her, if you go sleeping with someone, you know, because they go take a, a send her and the other girls 
to dancing outside the camp, mm -hmm. the military, and they bedding here. Then, and this is still caused the problem there, and they killing because Valan tell her, is they commit sin, they pass out and they kill the, mm -hmm. the Israel. Yeah. That's what Moses says is all the problem coming because they don't listen the the rules, they don't listen to God because they want to do what they want to do. But Balaam tell them because Balaam be hiding for for a long time inside the Israel. You know, he know the way to attack them. Okay. The next reference is uh, Second Peter chapter 2 um, yep in chapter 2 um, Peter is warning about false teachers and the destruction that false teachers are going to under are, are going to experience um, let's see if you start up just a little bit farther at the end of verse 10 he says bold and arrogant these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of Yahweh. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. He's talking about teachers. <laughs> Boy. He goes on in 13. He says, they will be paid back with harm for the harm that they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable, and they are experts in greed, an accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked after his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So, another reference of Balaam. That was Second uh, Peter chapter 2, like verse 15. So, let's see, I think Margaret has something. It, it seems that the Balaam... Uh, agenda is one for profit. Yeah. The, the thing that seems to yeah. be most common in the Bible with respect to Balaam was he was uh, more, uh, greed was his yeah. driving he force. Was in, he was engaged in it for... Yeah. He wanted the money. For, for profit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He wanted the, the riches, the wealth, right. the, the notoriety, the but notoriety, it was, yeah, for profit. Right. The yeah. power. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He was in it for the Benjamins. <laughs> yep. <laughs> In it for the Benjamins. Oh, there are a whole bunch of people like that. I could even think of a couple of you know teachers that way. Um, the next next uh, citation is Jude 11, um, and in Jude, which is just you know uh, a little farther down than Second Peter, um, verse 11 says he's talking about. Um, uh, godless men, and he says, Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain, they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, and they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. So again, all of this, if you will, let's see, what, what do Cain, Balaam, and Korah all have in common? 
Self-centered. Larry? Disregard for God's word. Well, that's certainly true. Certainly. I mean, in all three cases, they were not at all unfamiliar with what he wanted. Right? They, it's not like they didn't know who God was. They knew who God was. There was just, they had their own agenda. And their own agenda was, to them, more important than what God wanted them to do. Beg your pardon? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I thought that was an interesting citation just because of those three people. And finally, the last one is Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, you know, um, the, I guess it's Yeshua is talking to John and in this vision. And he's going through all these different churches. And in verse 12, he starts talking to the church at Pergamum. And verse 12 says, To the angel of the church of Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, and yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. So, more references of Balaam. So anyway, I, I, I just wanted to go through those because I think it's important. Again, a lot of times for beginners, which you obviously are not, when they get to this section on Balaam, they're confused because they can't really figure out whether Balaam's a good guy or not. And I think the Bible's pretty clear. He wasn't such a good guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it seems to me that a lot of ministers who read the Bible because they don't want to lose their congregations or um, be held in low esteem, they just skip over a lot of the truths that are in there that are essential for... Yeah. Us as a people, you know. Yep. Uh, here, here. <laughs> yeah. Here, so, here. Uh, yeah. It's it's like you know they're they're going to be held to be accountable for they it. They will. The end. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's one of the things about being a teacher that kind of frightens me, and that's how come I'm I try to be pretty quick about saying I don't know. I mean, I'm telling you what what we can see here, but I might interpret it wrong, and you guys are free to nail me and certainly disagree. Did you have something, Barry? Yeah, I was going to say that I've, I've never seen this verse, but this one verse makes it really clear. You just read, who taught Balak to set a trap for the people of Israel? Who taught Balak? That makes it real clear that, yeah, he, he that may not have said real clear in the other scripture where, where his reference was, but that... That nails it, doesn't it? Real clear. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, and it kind of makes sense because you know that Balak, uh, king of the Moabites, didn't have a whole lot of information on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and what these guys believed that were swarming around down there in the valley. Um, so if Balaam could say, you know, look, let me tell you what's going on here. You know, their God is, is really sensitive, let me say, about sexual immorality and some of these rules that he's written. Uh, if you can just entice them to break those rules, you don't have to curse them. He'll take care of it. Their God will do it. 
I like this story. I think there's a lot to be gained from, from looking at that. But we'll move on, unless there's anything else anybody wants to say. So, Numbers 25. Um, we read part of Numbers 25 last week, but Numbers 25 is pretty short, so, and it's all one story. So I thought, would somebody like to volunteer to read Numbers 25? Alfonso, outstanding. It's like having Earl Ray Jones read the Bible. And Israel dwelt in Shittim, and the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. And they invited the people to the slaughterings of their mighty ones, and the people ate and bowed down to their mighty ones. Thus Israel was joined to Baal Peor, and the displeasure of Yahweh burned against Israel. And Yahweh said to Moshe, take all the leaders of the people and hang them up before Yahweh, before the sun, so that the burning displeasure of Yahweh turns away from Israel. And Moshe said to the judges of Israel, each one of you slay his men who were joined to Baal Peor. And she, one of the children of Israel, came and brought to his brothers a Midianite woman before the eyes of Moshe and before the eyes of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tent of appointment. And when Peneus, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, and the Kohen saw it, he rose up among the congregation and took a spear in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel to the tent and thrust both of them through. The man of Israel and the woman through her abdomen. Thus the plague among the children of Israel came to a stop. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. And Yahuwah spoke to Moshe saying, Peneus, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the Kohen, has turned back my wrath on the children of Israel because he was ardent with my ardor in the midst so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my ardor. Therefore say, see I am giving him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his seed after him a covenant of an everlasting kahuna, because he was ardent for his Elohim and made atonement for the children of Israel. And the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, son of Salu, a leader of a father's house among the Shimeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Tesur. He was head of the people of Father's house in Midian. And Yahuwah spoke to Moshe, saying, Distress my Midianites, and you shall smite them. For they distress with you their tricks, which they deceived you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a leader of Midian, their sister, who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. Okay. Thank you. So this is a quick little story. Uh, the Bible is so interesting because, you know, this is a pretty gross, lurid, graphic picture. But it does it in such a way that if you don't really pay attention, you might miss it. Um, right? Because um, what's, what's the story? They're, they're sitting there, still camped out, as my dad would say, minding their own business, you know. And um, the neighbors, the Moabites, under the suggestion of Balaam, uh, say, well, why don't you get some of these uh, temple prostitutes to go down and see if they can kind of get buddy-buddy with the Israelite men and uh, have, have them, you know, engage in sexual activity in front of their gods, in front of these uh, Midianite gods. And they do. And needless to say, the, uh, many of the uh, 
Israelite men seem to think that's a great thing. And evidently, it was a common practice to kind of do that kind of out in front of everybody. And so Moses and Eleazar, because Aaron is now dead, you know, were evidently, from reading it, the, a plague had already started. God was already judging them. When this one guy who thought he was, you know, I don't know what, what, what he'd been smoking, but anyway, he was, he was ready to do it anyway, and he got this, this uh, Midianite woman, and they went down. It must have been in or near the tent of meeting, according to the story, and were engaging in it. And Phineas says, boy, we're not having any of this. And he took the spear, and he ran right through both of them. And to run right through both of them, you know what they must have been doing. Uh, pretty gross. Pretty gross. Anybody have any comments about that? Other than how gross it is? John. So, does it say that Balaam did this or encouraged it? Or we, we know that because of what we read um, earlier, which is later on in the chapter. No, no, no. It says somewhere here. Does it say? Does it I think I, uh, it says, let me find it. Because I, I remember him reading it, I thought. So it was just a, a simple <clears throat> little sentence. Verse 3, so Israel joined in worshiping the Baal poor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. But there was something that said Balaam suggested it, I thought. Not, well, I thought the way, okay. Not but in, in any chapter. case, it's, it might have been in a different chapter. We well, certainly read it in a different chapter. Yeah. Right, it's, which is coming up. Yeah, okay. But, so, but that's a reasonable assumption that... Yeah. They're doing this based on his advice. Is yeah. that fair? Yeah, because like I say, I don't think they'd have any reason to know that this would... Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, I, I think they're doing it on his suggestion. Now, Phineas is the son of Eleazar, who is the son of Aaron, right? Um, so, and Eleazar is now the high priest. And Phineas, uh, I, I like to point out this one aspect. This is just me, the one aspect of this story, because he is indignant as I'm sure many people were. So he grabs this spear and he takes matters in his own hand and he handles it. And God commends him, right? God says, uh, he was defending my honor and for that, he rewards him. What's he rewarding him with? He says, you'll, you'll be... Covenant of peace. Yeah, you'll have a covenant of peace and you'll be, I think he says, you'll, you'll have a priesthood forever, your descendants. He and his descendants will have a covenant of lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. Um, the, okay, we'll talk and then I'll, I'll tell you the, the one lesson I get. From, wait, 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 Lisa wants to talk. I heard, she was just kidding when she took her hand back down. Well, I thought you wanted to say something. No, no. Well, and that's exactly, you know, what I told you before my friend Ari fooled today. That's exactly what he was saying, that you don't mess around with these people. You know, you don't mess around with, well, I mean, it's true. And, mm -hmm. and what he said is true because that's what Israel's dealing with now is their fault in never dealing with certain things. Oh, sure. You know, sure. and, you know, and he said, if you don't think a Jew can be anti-Semite, you're wrong. Oh, that's for sure. You're right. The... The thing I always like to point out about this story is in general, God says, vengeance is mine, right? Now, in this case, Phinehas took God's vengeance upon himself, and God commended him. But it's the exception, not the rule. In general, I mean, God knows your heart, and he clearly knew Phinehas' heart. 
and he was able to see Phineas is really upset because of me, you know, and so he, he decided to defend his God. But in general, you can't use this story as a license for I'm doing this for God unless you are darn sure, <laughs> unless you really know. <laughs> there could be. It hadn't happened to me yet, but go ahead. Well, uh, I'm going to challenge that thought a little bit. That's fine. Uh, we read, I don't know how long back it was, where basically God tells Levi, the Levites, I'm not going to deal with Israel anymore. If they mess up, I'm going to you. Mm -hmm. So, you could, I would argue, in his defense, that he should argue, this is self-defense. If I don't do this, God's going to kill me. That's a, okay. He's going to judge I, me yep, because yep. I didn't do my job. That's a, take that's, these guys that's along with what you were saying. That's fair. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. And, well, I don't know, this covenant of peace, that implies that without that peace, God was at war with Israel. Yeah. yeah. So, again, who's the enemies here? What? <laughs> the enemy is inside the camp yep. at the end of the day. Yep, that's right. So how were the Israel... Go, I'm sorry, go ahead. If you um, read in verse 5 where uh, Moshe tells the judges of Israel... Everyone kill his men who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. Mm -hmm. uh, now, we can read in between the lines because they had joined to false worship. Yep. And they had joined also to sexual sin. Yep. So by this man bringing this woman into the tent after they had already, you know, after God had already acknowledged that, hey, wait a minute, this is something detestable to me. And then uh, for, for uh, Phinehas to act quickly... Uh, was he really taking matters in his own hand, no, I, or was he being obedient to yep. knowing that, okay, this is something that's detestable, mm -hmm. that, and he's getting up from the middle of the crowd, mm -hmm. and everyone else is doing what? Ignoring it. Ignoring it, being, you know, Not whatever. doing anything, whatever, right. yeah. You know, or being disgusted, turning their head away, but the yeah. point is, he, he responded did quickly. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what John was saying. I agree. I mean, I, like I say, I, could, I can see that side, and I'm not going to make a big deal about it. I'm just, I, I'm just not going to ever use this as a justification for me doing something that might or might not be in God's. <laughs> but you're right. You guys are just well, exactly right. we don't have the authority that, that Levi was giving back then. Yeah. Um, let's see. I just have one more sure, go ahead. sidebar. It's interesting that this two con the conflict is between Simeon and Levi, who were the two... That were in uh, Shechem? Yep. They were the they, two ringleaders of that stuff in Shechem. Right. And they were the ones that Jacob was very angry with. Yep. And he yep. says, you make me stink in the land or something yep. like that. Yep. Yep. Um, let's see. And God says that Phinehas doing this uh, was uh, the atonement that was required to forgive the Israelites. So that's an even more reason for... Uh, thinking that he was doing exactly what he should have been. Um, I have a couple of other little questions I wanted to put to you, and these don't necessarily have answers, but let's see, one of them was, so how were the Israelites to treat the Midianites? Yeah. Well, it was different than, the, there was different than, for example, the Edomites. Yep. Right? Yep. What were they to do with Midianites? Take them out. Kill them. It was, All it was of them. Genocide, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And as a matter of fact, that one section we read a little farther down, uh, Moses was mad at them because they brought some back. And he says, no, 
They're all supposed to die. The only ones that don't, don't have to die are the young girls that haven't ever laid with a man. But everybody else has to die. So that, a lot of people point that out as cruel, but God's God. You know? If you don't, it's going to come back on you. Yeah. And God's yeah. going to judge Israel. He yeah. has shown over and over again he'll do that. Okay, but my question that I really always like to ask, because I don't know the answer, is so why do we have to know their names? Why, did, why are their names here? There's a lot of trouble that's been gone to to tell us who these two people were. I wonder why. I, I don't know. I don't know what the names mean. I've, I've kind of, you know, I haven't looked much into it. But it always amazes me when I see stuff like that because it's there for a reason. And I just don't know what the reason is. Zor is rock. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know. I just, that'll, something for you to think about. Yeah, Barry. Maybe it means that uh, to God we're not a number and everyone's actions count. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing, that's good. One of the things that, I, you know, I remember there's another place where this occurs. It's back in the beginning of Exodus uh, when the Pharaoh uh, passed the edict that all the male Hebrew babies were to be thrown in the Nile and uh, midwives wouldn't do it, you know. And if you read that chapter carefully, you see that the midwives are named. You know, you, you, we know the names of those midwives. And it was pointed out something, something I read that, so we know the names of the midwives, we don't know the name of the Pharaoh. Now that's kind of an interesting contrast. <laughs> I just like stuff like that. Any other thoughts about this story? Uh, there's a standalone, in this chapter, there's a standalone all top in this story, verse 8. Verse 8? <clears throat> And thrust Stanil and Olivtov, both of them through, through the man. Mm. It's kind of interesting because it's related to Yeshua, I would say. How so? Well, he gets thrusted, and he, he we we overcome the death. We overcome. We we are allowed through the bill of divorce, at least for the house of Israel, to re-enter into a covenant, have a covenant of peace with them. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll go on. We've got this next exciting passage that we have to read. Um, any volunteers, someone who likes to read Hebrew names? You want to you read Hebrew names? Okay. Chapter 26. Your numbers are a little bit off. Well, it's the whole... Oh, they must, are? Well... Where does it start? It was after the plague. That's fine. It was after the plague. Yahweh spoke to Moshe and to Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the Kohen. Take a census of the entire assembly of the children of Israel from 20 years of age and up, according to their father's households. Anyone who goes out to the legion in Israel, Moshe and Eleazar, the Kohen spoke to them in the plains of Moab by the, Jordan, the, by the Jordan and Jericho, saying, From 20 years of age and up, as Yehovah has commanded Moshe and the children of Israel, who are coming out of the land of Mitzrah, Ravain, the firstborn of Israel, the sons of Ravain were Hanach, Hanachite family of Palu, Palu, Paluite family of Hezron, Hezron family of Carmi, 
Carmi family and the Carmi family. These are the families of the Reubenite. Their count was 43,730. The sons of Palu, Eliav. The sons of Eliav, Nemuel, and Dotan, Avarim. Avarim, the same Dotan and Avarim, who were summoned by the assembly, who contended against Moshe and Aaron along the assembly of Korach. And they contended against, against Hashem. Then the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them. And Korach, with the death of the assembly, when the fire consumed 250 men, they became a sign. But the sons of Korach did not die. The sons of Shimeon, according to their families of Nimuel, Nimuelite family, the Yamin, the Yamanite family of Yachin, Yachin, the Yachinite family, the Zerahite family of Shaul, Shaulite family. These are the families of the Shimeonite, 22,200. The sons of God, according to their families in Siphon, Siphonite family of Haggai, the Haggite family of Shuni, the Shuni, Shunite family of Ozni, the Oznite family of Eri, the Erite family of Erod, Erod fam, Erodite family of Ereli, the Erelite family. These are the families of the sons of God, according to their count, 40,500. 40, the sons of Yehuda, Er, Onan, Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan, the sons of Yehuda, according to their families, were Shelach, Shelanite family of Perez, Perizzite family of Tzerah, Tzerahite family. The sons of Perez were Hezron, the Hezronite family, the Hamul, the Hamulite family. These are the families of Yehuda, according to their count, 76,500. The sons of Issachar, according to their families, were Tola, the Tolite family of Puva, the Punite family of Yashuv, the Yashuvite family of Shimron, the Shimronite family. These are the families of Issachar, according to their count, 64,300. The sons of Zebulun, according to their families, Sered, the Seredite family of Elon, the Elonite family of Yaliel, the Yalielite family, family. These are the families of Zevolonite, according to their count, 60,500. 60, the sons of Yosef, according to their families, Manashe and Ephraim. The sons of Manashe, Machir, the Mecherite family, the Machir, begat Gilead, of Gilead, the Gileadite family. These are the sons of Gilead, the Letzer, the Letzerite family of Helek, the Helek family of Azrael, the Azraelite family of Shechem, Shechem, the Shechemite family of Shemida, the Shemidite family of Hefer, the Heferite family, Zelophad, Zel, Zelophehad, 
Zelophehad, son of Hefer, had no sons, only daughters. The names of Zelophehad's daughters, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcha, and Tirzah. These are the families of Manasseh and their count, 252,700. These are the sons of Ephraim, according to their families. Shetelahite family of Becher, the Becherite family of Tahan, the Tahanite family. These are the sons of Shetelah, of Aaron, of Aaron, Aaronite family. These are the families of Ephraim, according to their count. 32,500, these are the sons of Yosef according to their families. These, the sons of Benjamin according to their families of Bela, the Belaite family of Ashbel, the Ashbelite family of Aharim, the Aharim family, the Shef, Shefuham, the Shefu, the Shephamite family of Hafum, Hafam, Hapam, Hafam, the Hephamite family, the sons of Bela were Ard, Naaman, the Ardite family of Naaman, the Naamanite family, these are the sons of Benjamin according to their families and their count, 45,600. These are the sons of Dan according to their families of Shaham, Shaham, the Shuhamite family. These are the families of Dan according to their families. All the Shuhamite families, according to their count, 64,400. These are the sons of Asher, um, according to their families, of Inma, the Enite, Enite family of Ishvi, the Ishvi family of Beria, the Berite family, Berite family of the sons of Beria, of, he, of Heber, the Heberite family of Machiel, the Machielite family. The name of Asher's daughter, Sarah. These are the families of the sons of Asher, according to their count, 53,400. The sons of Naphtali, according to their families of Yaziel, Yaziel family of Guni, the Gunite family of Yet. Yetzer, the Yetzerite family of Shalem, the Shilamite, Shilamite family. These are the families of Naphtali, according to their families, and their count, 45,400. These are the countings of the sons of Israel, 661,730. Okay, let's stop there for a minute and talk okay, about that. that. Sounds like Thank a you. Good idea. It's kind of a tongue tire, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, there's lots of things to, to just kind of look here and talk about for a minute. First of all, um, when did we do this before? When did we count the, the people before? Chapter 1. Chapter 1, right? Chapter 1 and now here in chapter 26. So what's happened between chapter 1 and chapter 26? How much time? How much time has passed? 40 years. Pretty much 40 years. Right? So chapter 1 was the list of all, the, all the, the Israelites that came out of Egypt. Then we had the wonderful incident of the spies 
And God basically says, okay, you're spending 40 years wandering around in the desert until this generation dies. And so this is the uh, census now that they're getting ready to leave. Okay, so it's been 40 years. Um, who did they count? Who specifically was counted? Yes. Everybody, the Levites that were male over 20 years old. Yeah, all the males except the Levites who were over 20. And it, it as much as says they're the soldiers. These are the men who are of fighting age and I, I suppose, you know, classified uh, 1A on the draft status. <laughs> but they're, they're, the, they're the source for Israelite, the Israelite army. The reason that's important, well, maybe you can tell me, why is that a significant thing? What why else, is what the, counting the number of armies, the number of men in your army important? Yeah. To, okay. Okay, that, that's essentially what I'm getting at, but... You, in the Bible and in general, a census is taken uh, before an armed conflict. You know, oh, yeah, if you wanted to find out whether you're going to be able to beat this, this king over here, you need to know how many men you got. And hopefully you got enough spies that can tell you how many men he's got. Because it's pretty much, war has always been, you know, I got more than you got, so I'm going to win. So it's not always that way, but in general. So that's why they count. And you can say that that's why they counted coming out, too. Because they were, God was preparing them for war. Yeah. Is it also possible that they were accounting to determine how to break up the land? To Absolutely. The land? Yep. As a matter of fact, it says that here a little bit. Okay. So that's also part of it. But in general, uh, you're right. It's not just that reason, but certainly counting was... Uh, so do we start off with a smaller number or a bigger number? Well, I'm gonna, that's the next thing oh, to talk okay. about. Because he's got it um, right there in your book, probably. Yep, it's right here in the book. So... That's why you want these books, you see. I've got the, the tribes, and this is when the first census, Numbers 1 and 2, and this is Numbers 26, and it shows the differences in, in people. And um, I had a question just this time as we read through there that I've never asked myself before, and I'm kind of saying, gee, why didn't you ask that? But I'm going to ask it to you, because you could probably tell me. What order are these tribes listed in? I'll, I'll go back and review it. Yeah, John? Well, it's different than the, than the, the two orders and the different... The orders in chapter 1 and 2 aren't the same as in That's 26. That's true. But right? the, and there are two orders that we've seen pretty consistently. One is order the order of birth. And the other is the order in which they're camped out, starting with the east. Because you got... What do you got? You have Reuben, and I forgot the other two tribes that are on the east... Uh, the only one I really remember is you got the three tribes. You have Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin on the west. But anyway, that's the other order. But it's neither of those, as near as I can tell. And I was just wondering, that's okay, good homework. Go figure out what the order is and why. No, no, there's some reason. You know there's a reason. I just, I, I've, I can remember whose sons uh, are, are Rachel's groups? and whose sons are Leah's, but I have trouble remembering whose sons are the different um, are they uh, are, are they still in the order of their groups of where they're at uh, you mean in terms of counting around the right in other words no. I, I know one of the orders it goes like you know north south 
west, east? Well, or... I don't know. I, I don't think that. I don't think they're listed. Okay. Maybe. I'm not sure. Anyway, maybe we'll get the answer. But let me, I can kind of summarize what's happened over the 40 years. Um, the tribe of Reuben hasn't changed much at all. It's gone down just a little bit. Uh, the tribe of Simeon has absolutely been decimated. They've gone from 59,000 down to 22,000. So they've lost almost two-thirds of their people. Now, you remember what happens with Simeon and, and Joshua? The, the territory that Simeon ends up being given is wholly within Judah. And eventually, Simeon just kind of melts away and becomes part of Judah. So this is the beginning of that. So they're down at 22,000, and at that, they're the smallest, smallest tribe. So then they have Gad listed next. Gad's gone down 10%, so they're, you know, they've gone from 45 to 40. Judah's gone from 74,000 to 76,000. So they've actually increased, but not by much, just a little bit. Um, Issachar's gone from 54 to 64, so they've gone a fair amount. Um, Zebulun's gone from 57 to 60, up a little bit. Um, Ephraim has gone from 40 down to 32, so that's a significant, that's like 20% loss. Uh, Manasseh's gone from 32 to 52, so Manasseh had a big old growth spurt. They uh, almost they doubled good, in size. They had yeah. a good couple of decades. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin went from 35 to 45. Dan went from 62,000 to 64,000. Asher went from 41 to 53, and Naphtali went down from 53 to 45. The total is not that different. The, the, the one at the beginning of the 40 years was 603,550, and this is 601,730. So they're less than 2,000, well, a couple thousand different. Yeah. So I think I am right. The order is the Reuben and his clan, Judah and his clan, Ephraim and his Two buddies. Okay. And then Dan and, and then Dan. Okay. I should go back it's and check that. See, next time I get there, I'll answer my own question and I'll do better. But thanks. Like yep. Yeah. Okay. You always wonder why. When they list those things, you wonder what order they're listed in. So that's good. I don't think any of them are exactly the same when they list them. This, this says that the tribes were listed here according to the three tribe groupings to which they were assigned in chapter 2. Okay. There, there, however, the leader of the tribes was listed first. Here, Ravain is listed first, presumably because he was the firstborn. Yeah. So it's just, you know, a little confusing, but... Yeah. So me being a math guy, I always like to look at all that stuff. And then, of course, uh, Bobby's got something. This is going back a little ways when we were talking about names. Um, mm -hmm. I know it's off track here. I went ahead and did the look up on Zimri and Cosby. Oh, good. Zimri was also um, like Israel's fifth king or something and was only king for seven days. He ended up becoming king for not, not the same Zimri that we're talking about. No, but, but, but that name. Ended up, yeah. yeah, he ended up becoming king after he was a servant and he overthrew or killed the king that was <laughs> prior. Yep. Um, for seven days, but yep. anyways, wild goat or sheep, or it could mean my music or my praise. Okay. Um, Cosby means deceiver, deception, liar. 
Oh, wonderful. Would you want to name your kid that? <laughs> That's where I was going with that because um, I was discussing this with somebody um, a couple of days ago about names. Um, usually you have a characteristic that goes with the name um, and whether it be a self-fulfilling type thing, if you are named a certain name and you lived up to that characteristic or not, it's kind of important. So maybe they're uh, saying the names in the Bible like in the future, don't name your child that or something, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Well, no, yeah, as a matter of fact, um, go ahead. Yeah, that's just my thought. No, the, the, the Bible is full of people whose names mean something. You know, every biblical name means something. And some of them, some of them are real negative things. Like, that's the first time I knew a Cosby man. My favorite negative name in the Bible is Ichabod. Ichabod means the glory has departed. Now, wouldn't you love to? I mean, Ichabod Crane, right? What, what? I would never do that. That's like this man's name in a Sun Tzu. Did he have a cloud over him everywhere he walked? Yeah, yeah. The glory has departed. That's good. Thanks. Let's see. There's also a little bit of history thrown in here for those of you that uh, didn't remember. In Back in chapter 8, it talks about, this is talking about the uh, Reubenites. And in chapter, I'm sorry, verse 8 of that chapter. It says, The son of Palu was Eliab, and the sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. The same Dathan and Abiram were the community officials who rebelled against Moses and Aaron, and were among Korah's followers when they rebelled against Yahweh. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them along with Korah, whose followers died when the fire devoured the 250 men. And they served as a warning sign. The line of Korah, however, did not die out. So that's useful little tidbit, right, uh, with respect to Korah's rebellion. What else was interesting over here? Oh, verse 19. Um, this is talking about Judah. Er and Onan were sons of Judah, but they died in Canaan. And the descendants of Judah by their clans were Shelah and then Perez and Sarah. Now then, do you remember those heirs of Judah? Do you remember Aaron Onan? Do you know whose mother was Perez and Sarah? I love it. You ought to know this stuff. Well, you really should. I mean, it's a good stuff to know. Um, Judah had three kids, three sons. He had Er, Onan, and Shelah. Uh, and they, the oldest one, I think, was Er. And he married, oh, what was her name? It's right there. Uh, the one who seduced Judah. What was her name? You know, back in Genesis. Vega? Yeah, Tamar. 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 Um, er married Tamar, and Er died. And so she was then expected to marry Onan. And Onan was to raise, uh, you know, a, a, a son who was to be uh, heirs, um, inheritor, if you will. Um, and Onan died. And about this time, Judah says, boy, this, this uh, girl Tamar doesn't seem to be a very lucky wife. And so he says, why don't you go back to your dad and live with him for a while? because Shayla's too young to get married anyway. That was his third son. And he was also kind of a little bit concerned because 
Two of them had already died being married to her, and he wasn't sure he wanted to have Sarah, Shayla marry her. And so we go through this story there in Genesis where he ends up uh, sleeping with Tamar, and she ends up being pregnant, and the, all the drama associated with um, Judah learning that his daughter-in-law is pregnant, and he says, well, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, the slut burner, you know? And uh, then she says, well, I'm pregnant by the guy who owns this staff and, and seal, and he realizes that it was his, and all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of like, uh-oh. And so he repents. That's the first time we really see any of these guys, these sons of Jacob, do any repenting. And he, you know, he's, he says he never, never slept with her again, he says, but he took her as his wife, and she had twins. And the twins were Perez and Zerah. So I'm, uh, these are not that hard. These little stories are kind of, and they've got things in there that are worthwhile remembering. Yeah. Oh, no, I was going to ask that if he had three or five, but you named the other two, so never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get all that, but I hope you're okay. <laughs> yeah, because it said Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. Yeah, but Perez and Zerah were really Judah's grandkids. And Er and Onan. Well, not really. That's not the right way to look at it. Wow. They, were, they were his sons, but <laughs> never. They... And then Aaron Onan yeah. and Aaron Onan died in Canaan. Canaan. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And all that stuff is in Genesis around forty-ish. Done. Their their family tree is complicated. The, oh man, the family tree is amazing. <laughs> yeah, they they put the fun in dysfunctional, right? See, there was one other place where they uh, uh, talked about some stuff that I thought we ought to. Oh, yeah, uh, verse 33, they're talking about the sons of uh, Manasseh, and one of the sons of Manasseh, Zelophehad. Zelophehad didn't have any sons of his own. He only had daughters, and they're named here. And we're going we're gonna to learn about these daughters. We're going to learn about these daughters again, five daughters, um, in just a few chapters. So I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. You probably already know it anyway. So, that's pretty good. Any other thoughts about the genealogy? This, it's not as boring as you'd think, really. I remember the first time I read it, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. You're supposed to sit here and read all this stuff? Yeah. Did you have something? I seriously wanted to know what happened to the five daughters. Oh, we're going we're mean, to get to it. Oh. I'd rather not just tell you right here, because we'll get to it here in a few minutes. It turns out that they're mentioned, they're mentioned twice before the end of Numbers. So, oh. <laughs> Didn't they go before Moses and ask for property since all yep. the men got Yep, it? yep. Way to kill it. Huh? Spoiler alert. Oh. <laughs> I'm just teasing. That's okay. It's not a big deal. Um, let's see. Would somebody, if there's nothing else about the uh, gee, or let's see what I call the census. We're not quite through. We can read from 52, verse 52 to the end of the chapter. That's not as bad. The names are not as bad. Would somebody like to read from verse 52 to the end of the chapter? Pat Wood. <laughs> not if Bobby doesn't want to be volunteered. 
And Yehoah spoke to Moshe, saying, The land is to be divided to these as an inheritance according to the number of names. To the large one you give a larger inheritance, and to the small one you give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given its inheritance according to the registered ones. But the land is divided by lot. They inherit according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. According to the lot, their inheritance is divided between the, large, the larger and the smaller. And these are the registered ones of the Levites according to their clans of Gershon, the clan of Gershon, the clan of the Gershonites, of Kehath, the clans of the Kehathites, the Meradi, the clans of the Meradiites. These are the clans of the Levites, the clans of the Libanites, the, the, the clan of the Libanites, the clan of the Hebronites, the clan of the Methites, the clan of the Mushites, the clan of the Orites, and the Hithites brought forth Aram, and the name of Aram's wife was Yochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Mitzrayim, and to Aram. She bore Aaron and Moshe and their sister Miriam. And to Aaron were born Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Tithamah. Tithamar, and Adab and Abihu died when they brought strange fire before Yahweh. And the registered ones were 23,000, every male from a new moon, old and above. For they were not registered among other children of Israel, because there was no inheritance given to them among the children of Israel. These are the ones registered by Moshe and Elisar, the priest who registered the sons of Israel in the desert plains to Moab by the Yardin of Jericho. But among these, there was not a man of those registered by Moshe and Aharon. The priest, the priest, when they registered the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai, for Yahuwah had said to them, they shall certainly die in the wilderness, and not a man was left of them except Caleb, son of Yephunneth, and Yehoshua, son of Nun. Okay. Um, so of the, the first section that we spent so much time reading all the names and counting and everything, that was everybody but the Levites. So this last part here discusses the Levites. And uh, first thing is it reiterates what you had pointed out earlier is that Part of the reason for doing all this numbering, aside from how many people we've got to be soldiers, was this is the number, these are the numbers that are going to be used to allocate the land. And it says very specifically, the tribes that have more people are going to get more land, and the tribes that have less people are going to get less land. Yeah. So, <clears throat> bit, of a, bit of a sidebar, but okay. there's, a, there's a, something interesting. So in the men's club, we studied, we went through some of the amendments of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, one was about the 16th Amendment, but ultimately that was about taxes. Mm -hmm. And there's two types of taxes in the Constitution, direct and indirect. Okay. One is, is by like tariffs and excises and things like that. The direct tax is by apportionment, which is kind of what they're doing here. So the apportionment tax was 
based on the size of your state, that's how much you got taxed, or okay. that's how much that state so it's got taxed. Kind of like property tax, huh? Well, it was it was a head count. It oh, it was head count. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Just okay. interesting. That's good. No, that is interesting. That, yeah, the governments have to have certain basic functions, really. Yeah. That's cool. I missed a good one. Um, so, it talks about the Levites, and it said, basically, the, there are three Levite clans, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And remember, we learned about those three. The Gershonites handled the tabernacles hardware, and the Merarites handled the tabernacle software, and the Kohathites handled the expensive religious objects, and the priests were Kohathites, right? That, remember, we learned all of that. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting. It says in verse 58, these, uh, go ahead. You, you mentioned the software and hardware. Yeah. Who handled the computers? No, no, we didn't have, that's very good. We didn't have computers. That's uh, hardware. Yeah, the, the hardware was the tent poles and the planks and the pegs and all that. And the software were the coverings. Okay. Um, in verse 58, it says, These also were the Levite clans. It talks about the Libnite, the Hebronite, the Mahalite, the Mushite, and the Koharite. Now, it's kind of subtle, but those names were, do you know how those names are related to the names just above it? The Gershonites, the Kohathites, and the Morarites? They're all the sons. See, the, the, the Gershon, Kohath, and Morari died out in the desert because of the 40-year thing. These are their sons. So these are the ones that get to go in to the land. Okay. Yeah. So that would suggest the theory that the Levites weren't punished because they didn't have the inheritance is not true. According to that, according to that, at least those guys died. Yeah, right. And well, I think you can say the same thing for the others if we go back and look at it, because the when they talk about the descendants of Simeon, they skip a generation. They talk about the the, the grandsons, you know, this, who they're talking about. Most of this. They, the point is, is they're counting different people, and it says that at the end, you know, it says there's not one person that they counted in this census that was there during the first one. So, okay, including the Levites is what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, it's what it sounds so like to that, me. So that theory then is not true, that the Levites, all the Levites, every one, every, all of the 13 tribes, all save two, and, all, and, the, two ones that were, and, yeah. the, and the, the, the ones that were under 20 made it in. Yeah, that's, that's what I would, that would be my, my theory. Um, so the number of Levites, and of course they counted from a month old because we're not looking for soldiers or anything like that. Uh, we're 23,000. Um, I like it when it says stuff like Moses and Eleazar. Well, at a month old, is that when you're redeemed? I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure about that. Could be. Okay. You had to, you had to redeem says, it from yeah. a priest? Yeah. So you didn't count? You weren't redeemed. You, God couldn't make a claim. Or I don't know. I'm just yeah. thinking out loud. It's a thought. Um, let's see. In verse 63, these are the ones counted by Moses and Eleazar when they counted the Israelites on the on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. That is so specific. And you can find it. It's still the plains 
across the Jordan from Jericho. All of those things are still there. The plains, the Jordan, and Jericho are all still there. And you can go see this. And it's pretty cool. Uh, not one of them, not one of them was among those counted by Moses and Aaron, the priest, when they counted um, the Israelites in the desert. Not one was left except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Oh, one thing I forgot to do there at the end of chapter or verse 58. This is just the little thing that you can remember about the Levites if you want to. Kohath was the forefather of Amram. Amram was Moses, Aaron, and Miriam's father. Okay? He was the one that was in Egypt, right? Had them in Egypt. And is married, he was married to Jochebed, who was also a descendant of Levi. This is another one of those fa funny family trees again. Mm -hmm. Because Moses is both the third generation from Levi and the fourth generation from Levi, depending on what, now that's what interesting. part down the family tree you want to go. Yeah. Because one of them, his, his mother was his aunt. Yeah. His Some grandmother weird. was his great aunt as well. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So I know this is not the most riveting stuff, but it's, to me, it's the thing that's interesting about it is pretty consistent. And it's all very um, logical. Moving right along, we got enough time to get Zelophehad's daughters. So the fun part about is saying the, this one is saying Zelophehad. So if somebody wants to read chapter 27 from verse 1 through verse 11, we'll do that and then we'll talk about it a little bit and we'll be done. Oh, Alfonso said he will. Then came the daughters of Zephalad, son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Merkir, son of Manasseh, from the clans of Manasseh, son of Yosef, and these were the names of his daughters, Mahla, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tertzah. And they stood before Moshe and before Elisar, the Kohen, and before the leaders and all of the congregation by the doorway of the tent of appointment, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, yet he was not in the company of those who were met together against Yahuwah, and accompanied with Korah, but he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his clan, because he had no son? Give us a possession among the brothers of our father. Moshe then brought the case before Yahuwah, and Yahuwah spoke to Moshe, saying, The daughters of Tesfalot speak what is right. You should clearly give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. And speak to the children of Israel, saying, when a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his clan and he shall possess it, and it shall be to the children of Israel a law of right ruling, as Yahuwah commanded Moshe. Okay, so it's pretty clear what he's saying here. One of the things I like to point out, pretty uh, 
pretty forward thinking for the times, right? Because in general, uh, in this society, um, women were hardly ever even thought of, much less as possible heirs. Um, so, you know, they, they went and they presented their case and they pointed out that, you know, first of all, our dad was not one of the ones in Korah's Rebellion, so he wasn't a bad guy, but, you know, he died in his own sin. He, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying he's great either, but, you know, he wasn't one of your enemies, and it doesn't seem right that uh, his inheritance uh, will disappear because he only had daughters. And so, I, I don't know, I think it's kind of neat. They went to God, and they says, what do you think about this? God says, well, it doesn't seem right to me either. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And so he says, so yeah, they can inherit if there are no sons. John? Torah case law. That's what this is. That's a good, good thing. Stare decisis is a Latin word. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Anyway, so what would the effect of this law be? Law, this case law, that's a good thing, this rule. Well, I think that, that um, is, is he's clarifying. He's clarifying what, and he's setting down what's going to happen from here on out. I mean, you know, I think that, you know, that, that it isn't just for one time. It's that it's... Yeah, it's from now on. And, and he doesn't mind change, you know, changing or clarifying something. Yeah. So what would the effect be? The effect is that women could inherit if, if they didn't have, if there certainly, were no sons. Certainly there's that. I guess what I was really kind of fishing for it is the effect is, is the, the ownership of the family farm, if you will, stays intact. Yeah, because the women had to marry within Yeah, within that, that comes that up tribe. later, but yeah, so that usually comes up as we're discussing this. Well, who do they get to marry then? Well, the answer is, and we're going to read about it in just a few chapters, um, well, in case you didn't get the whole idea here, uh, they have to marry within their, their tribe. So it stays within the tribe. But that's the effect. And I think it's kind of interesting because it shows that uh, God had this thing pretty well planned out. He intended these different tribes to have specific hunks of land, and they were to remain there. Because what happens every 50 years? It goes back, right? It goes back to where it was 50 years before. So if, if things had been working the way God had intended, we would be able to go over there today and find exactly where those people were 3,000 years ago. You know, when this happened. Of course, it didn't. But uh, that's, that's what his plan was. Interesting. Are there any questions or thoughts or... Yeah. I think also in... In um, portioning out the land to the to the women and naming a male to be advocates for them, I think in in case there was some dispute arose and mm -hmm. had to be dealt with, there would be a male to deal with it. Well, um, are you suggesting that should have been included? No, but it seems like that would be part of the law. Yeah, I, I think, the, like I say, we're going to come across another passage in just a few chapters that clarifies this more, and it's the one that says you must marry within the tribe. Yeah. But okay. in reference to your question, yeah. it occurs to me that, again, families being families, and they're not terribly distant, these guys probably had uh, uncles or uh, 
second uncles or cousins or somebody yeah. that they could go to for some of that. But the idea is that it stays within the family, even though it may not be the immediate family. Yeah. But it's still a good point. They, but at least they got to legally own it, which was, like I say, pretty unusual. Okay, what do you think about all this? Was it kind of fun, huh? We're getting to the end of numbers, so I'll get some Deuteronomy books printed up. Yeah. It is, it is slightly confusing that they're supposed to stay within the clans, and then there was the law of, of not marrying a cousin? Or am I confused on that one? I think you are a little confused. Okay. Yeah. What's the population of uh, Manasseh? He, he's the one that grew the biggest. He's like 60,000, right? So yeah. they got 60,000 men, not just 60,000 people, mm -hmm. but 60,000 men to choose from. They're not all cousins. No, well, certainly not. Well, I mean, you know, the thing is, is theoretically everybody's related. I mean, we're all related to Adam too, right? You know, but the point is, is when you get enough generations running around in there, it's uh, any issues that we know today that could become a problem are usually taken care of by just the, the numbers, which I think is what John's taken. Okay, I think um, if there aren't is anything else, I just, no last comments, I'll close in prayer. Well, Father God, thank you very much for your Torah. Thank you for the interesting things that are in here, even though sometimes we have to dig a little bit. Thank you for, uh, thank you for its consistency. Thank you for its depth. Thank you for the fact that you've kept it intact all this time, uh, that we can study it. Thank you for how much of you it reveals to us. And uh, I just thank you for blessing us with it and ask that you help us to think on these things as we go through the week and keep us safe until we meet together on Shabbat. In Yeshua's name, amen. So thanks very much. There's still stuff to...